Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our co-host Noel is on adventures. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Matt, do you ever contemplate alternative timelines or alternate timelines? Do you ever think of... uh, who you might be and what you might be doing in a universe just to the left of ours. Yes, I have a similar thing to that. It's a it's a it's a yes but <laughs> which is a weird uh thing. Shouldn't shouldn't do yes buts. But um my wife and I have this theory that we jumped timelines sometime in twenty sixteen. That all of Earth jumped a timeline and somehow we've we're in this alternate reality now. Mm-hmm. Where where, just things are a little bit off of, of what they were before. And we, we don't really know because it's that whole Mandela effect thing where 
our memories are, are a little different, but in this timeline, it's all been this way forever. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's an interesting argument. It's more common than you might think, especially here in the West. Quite a few people have, on an individual level, floated something like that with me. Um, I guess my timeline question uh, for you and for you listeners today uh, is hinging on these these sorts of thought experiments that we have, these Walter Mitty-esque moments where we think, you know, what is my life in this other universe like where I am an astronaut or where I am a um, touring percussionist for, I don't know, what what's a dream band that people want to play percussion for? I always knew that you were going to do that one day. I knew <laughs> it. Uh, Dave Matthews Band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I met one of their uh, touring drummers, not the main guy, but I met one of their touring drummers a while back. Really nice guy. Uh, that is the end of that story. But the reason I ask is because... You met Carter? What's that? You met Carter? No, not the main drummer. Oh, okay. No, no. One of the, like, one of the bongo guys. Oh, yeah. The percussionist guy. Yeah. Uh, so... Way back in uh, a different version of my own life, I was on track to be uh, an employee of something very much like the company that we are examining today. Thankfully, this is just my opinion, thankfully I didn't do it and my uh, thoughts and prayers go out to whatever Ben Bolin lives in an, a version of the timeline where the cards uh, fell differently. And instead, we got into this. And instead, we ended up doing this, yes. When we think of global powers, we usually think of nations, right? Governments, religions, huge multinational corporations, and so on. And we understand in a very general way, how all of these work. You don't need to be a president or prime minister to understand that nations on paper seek to make life better for their citizens, (laughs) right? On paper. And you don't need to, or maybe a certain segment of their citizenry. There you go. You don't need to be a priest, uh, a patriarch, or a pope to understand that religions typically strive to make new converts and spread their teachings, their philosophies. And save souls. And save souls. Yeah, depending on the religion. Mm -hmm. While a corporation will work to expand its market share and ultimately its bottom line. And all of these things are fine in theory, right? But none of them are inherently good or evil, which I know can ruffle some feathers, especially when we talk about religion. We're not talking about a specific religion, just the concept None are inherently good or evil because some nations might improve life for their citizens or some percentage of their population by making things worse for other people in another country or indeed in the same country. And some religions may advocate slavery or death for non-believers. That may be the best way to save their souls according to some teaching or interpretation thereof. And as we know, some corporations may wreak tremendous havoc chasing that bottom line and even ultimately shoot themselves in the foot. You know what I mean? Yeah. But today's story is about something else entirely. Not a religion, not a nation, perhaps not even really a corporation, at least in the way that we would traditionally think about one of those. Today's episode is about a mysterious consultancy firm called the McKinsey Group. But to those in the know, it's simply called... The Firm. Ooh, I like that movie with Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> yeah, there's also a... Uh, there's the book. 
a book, The Firm. Uh, there's, Grisham. Grisham. Yeah. And there's a documentary uh, about McKinsey called The Firm. So Ooh. Let's, let's look at the history first. Here are the facts. This thing is very, very old. Uh, the McKinsey Group was founded in 1926 by a fellow named James O. McKinsey. He was a University of Chicago professor and an expert on what's known as management accounting. He worked his way up from the bottom. Okay, management accounting. So I guess a manager of sorts mm -hmm. or I guess in this case he is a consultant. High-level accounting, right? Yeah. How do we, how do we best understand uh, a budget for an organization, right? How do we streamline that budget? How do we grow certain parts of it and so on? He was born way back in 1889. He grew up in fairly modest means in a three-room house in the Ozarks. And this kind of – these kind of humble beginnings are talking points that a lot of companies of this nature love to hit. You know what I mean? Large corporations love to talk about the humble beginnings and therefore the implied genius of their founder, right? This was an extraordinary person, whatever their name is, because uh, through nothing but their own intellect and gumption, they rose to the top. Yeah, his right? grip on his his bootstraps was very mm -hmm. strong. This is this is very popular. This is um, this is an iteration of the American myth. You know what I mean? So. It's no wonder that that's one of the first things you'll read about the founder in any of the official literature. It is interesting he started as a professor. That that fascinates me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's a learned man who's already teaching people something. Mm -hmm. there, I feel like this may be just completely naivete on my part, but to be a professor or a teacher of any kind, I feel like there has to be a certain amount of selflessness in somebody. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm professors are people, Matt, you know, people have a terrible track record. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's, which I mean, I'm not, I, I share the same, I, I share the same bias in many ways because I am one of those people who like you, I believe, uh, looks up to professors, people who dedicate such a large portion of their life to learning a specific discipline or even a specific subset of a specific discipline, you know? And then not necessarily using all of that hard work for your own means. You're using it to teach other people mm -hmm. to do what you are you have learned so much about. I don't know. That that to me it speaks to somebody's character in I guess at a base level. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. It also brings us to uh, I mean this may be a story for a different day, but it brings us to the idea of uh, academic wars, wars of ideology, which are fought in the ivory towers as we record this episode. Do you know what I mean? What is the nature of humanity? How does that translate philosophically to the best economic model? Things like that, right? People have been – people still uh, choose which – uh, which hill they want to die on in this debate and it – can sound dry and academic, but we have to remember that the same people who are opposing one another in these sorts of things, uh, anywhere from more political philosophy to more economic philosophy, these people end up in the halls of power. They end up making laws, you know what I mean, or having a very, very strong influence on the laws that are made. Mm -hmm. So it can seem dry, 
But at the end of the day, it does impact you and it impacts everyone around you, at least who lives in that government. And sometimes, often people who, at least in the case of the U.S., people who don't have anything to do with the U.S. get impacted by these beliefs. McKinsey's original, I guess, breakout single was uh, the principles of what's called scientific management. He was an early practitioner of this. And this will sound very familiar, understandable to all of us. It's just the detailed study of workflow and the division of labor. So we have X amount of employees, Y amount of task. How do we translate this into uh, the most efficient process, right? Mm -hmm. Which – you know, we're explaining it in a very simple way, but you can see how this becomes incredibly complicated incredibly quickly. But it turns out McKenzie was really good at it. And we all know when we heard that date, 1926, we all know that there was a context. Uh, there was a disaster looming on the on the horizon just a few years after the foundation of the McKinsey Group. Yeah, it's not really a great time to found something. <laughs> right. The Great Depression occurred. But here's the deal. Uh, under McKinsey's leadership, this group, this, this organization that he created, it didn't just survive the Depression. It didn't just make it through. This sucker thrived. When the founder, James O. McKinsey, died in 1937, a gentleman named Marvin Bauer took the firm uh, and he took it basically – beyond what James had been able to take it to. Some would say glory over the next 30 years. In part, though, uh, this is part of an obsession with being uh, quote-unquote professional in appearance and tone and conduct. So really creating an outward uh, image of what this firm is, what a representative of the McKinsey Group would be. And they're pretty specific, right? And pretty... Um uh, meticulous, one word that you would use in a corporate boardroom to describe this would be granular. Yeah. So let's talk about some Argyle socks. <laughs> who gets to wear them? Who doesn't get to wear them? Argyle. What's your take, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bauer? Yeah, Mr. Bauer once forbade all junior consultants from wearing Argyle socks because he thought they would distract clients and <laughs> – and uh, the firm's consultants were all required to wear fedoras. At this time, they were all um, – I think they were all probably dudes uh, until President Kennedy stopped wearing them. Wow. You see, now that – I don't know why it just reminds – I do know why. It reminds me of the Peaky Blinders. That's mm -hmm. what I'm seeing in my head. Well, also, this is interesting because it, it feels like the guy is creating a uniform, right? Yeah. He is creating a uniform not just of fabric but also of minds. Marvin Bauer is – can be considered the head uh, brand visionary or propagandist, internal propagandist for McKinsey. He's the one who told everybody to start calling it the firm. He established the terminology, jargon, nomenclature, whatever you want to call it that the – employees would use going forward. One example would be that all employees of a certain type were called partners. That was him. It gives everybody some prestige, especially from a client basis. You know, I'm not working with an employee now. I'm not spending millions of dollars on that. I'm working with a partner. Yeah, it's my partner, man. Mm -hmm. And additionally, he is responsible for a corporate culture that continues by all reports 
today. You'll hear former McKinsey employees say things like, there are only three great institutions remaining in the world, the Marines, the Catholic Church, and McKinsey. And they're serious. Whoa. They believe it. Yeah, this kind of loyalty, yeah. uh, fervent loyalty and um, belief in the company is is baked into every single employee. Uh, he also established a set of rules, rules of engagement and uh, rules of conduct. And let's just list these off. Uh, consultants should put the interests of clients before McKinsey's revenues. That's a big change. At least if you're a corporation that is for profit, you are you are basically saying, in a way, the customer is always right in this situation. But in this case, the customer is your partner. And then he said, of course, Omerta, do not discuss client affairs. That makes sense. Absolutely. He also said, uh, tell the truth as you see it, even if this means challenging the client's opinion. So let's say that you are – uh, working with a large beverage company and they want to make a new kind of product that you know as a McKinsey partner, it's just not going to work. Then it's your job to, instead of just taking their money, it's your job to tell them that this um, ranch dressing flavored soda is a terrible idea. But I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. Um, that is one of the most disgusting things I've heard in a while. It's also a real thing. Oh, God. It's a real thing. Uh, so, Did you do that in the natural flavorings episode? No, I was. Uh, I went to visit our friends Lauren and Annie over at Saver yeah. to do an episode with them about ranch. Okay. Dressing. Okay. So check that out. If you are, uh, if you are like 40% of the American public, a diehard fan of ranch. Forty percent. Wow! Can you believe that? My son's in there. I'm yeah. not. I'm definitely no. not. No, me neither. I like my uh, buttermilk and mayonnaise separate. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what it was originally. Anyway, just you could check out that episode. Uh, another example: It's let's say you're a McKinsey partner uh, working for a strongman or dictator in an authoritarian regime, and they say, "Look." Uh, the best way to uh, subjugate this ethnic minority is to, um, I don't know, shoot them all. And then you say, no, the best way to subjugate this ethnic minority is to imprison all of them but call them re-education camps or summer camps. You know, we'll work on the phrasing. That's that's the stuff you're supposed to do as a McKinsey consultant. You're supposed to stick by what you think is the correct answer, even if your clients, some of whom may be quite dangerous people, uh, will disagree with you. And then they said only perform work that is both necessary and that McKinsey can do well. Mm. Okay. Only stuff that's necessary. I wonder why – I wonder why. Why that one is so important. But I guess that's the idea of we are only going to outwardly show good work. So if we, mm -hmm. if we don't know that we can perform this task like to perfection, then we're not even going to attempt it. That way nothing ever dings our reputation. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's some self-preservation there, right? And it makes sense when you think about it. The, the idea of only doing work that is necessary also, also makes sense. It's a matter of professionalism. You're not doing unneeded work and then fining the client or f 
giving them a fee for that. You know what I mean? It's the difference between a good mechanic and an unscrupulous one. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another rule that McKinsey set for itself. They only work with CEOs and they only work with clients that the firm itself feels uh, will follow the advice of the firm. So they're not, they're not trying to get somebody in there that's maybe just wealthy enough but won't actually heed their advice. They, again, they're so selective with how they're viewed. I think we, we keep painting this picture here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so far since what? What was the year? 1926. It's, it's just been working for them. Yeah, they keep a very, very low profile. They did expand their um, their restriction on CEOs to include CEOs of subsidiaries and divisions of larger companies. Wasn't that nice? Yeah, so it's a, it's a little bit of a bigger pool than it was originally, but the changes over the years have not uh, fundamentally changed the rules of engagement or the core values of the company. And as you said, Matt, this has been a winning formula. There was a profile story on McKinsey in 1993 and it said, McKinsey and Company was, quote, the most well-known, most secretive, most high-priced, most prestigious, most consistently successful, most envied, most trusted, most disliked management consulting firm on earth. Wow. Love they threw that most disliked in there right at the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder who dislikes it. A lot of people. Competitors dislike it. Um, victims, or I guess you would say unsatisfied clients, right? Or people who, as a result of a project, maybe lost their livelihood. Yeah. I bet there's some uh, law enforcement agencies that don't like them so much. Mm-hmm. Just yes. because they're probably so good at, you know keeping a face on whatever situation is going on. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but the, you know, there, you can't be this large without having critics as well as fans, right? Opponents as well as supporters. Yeah. According to Business Week, the firm is ridiculed, reviled, and, and revered depending on one's perspective, which makes complete sense. That's what we're talking about. If you're on the front lines with McKinsey or – Rather, McKinsey is on your front lines, you're probably liking them a lot because it does seem like they're pretty accommodating and are going to get whatever job done you need done. There was one quote that I kept seeing float around which said that um, amidst the leaders of the business world, there was a saying that you can't be fired for hiring McKinsey. Whoa. So they also seem to be dependable at least in certain circles. Let's talk about some of these statistics. They have over 120 offices. Uh, They have a force of 14,000 consultants. Uh, They've been in business for almost a century now, 90-plus years. And one of the key murky pieces of McKinsey is its alumni who are a hugely influential force. More current and former Fortune 500 CEOs are alumni of McKinsey than any other company. I think they have the highest chance of becoming CEOs in general. It's like one on 690, which sounds like tough odds, but that's a hugely favorable number. Okay, so two things here. Mm. <laughs> um, 
they're they're being consultants and partners, and then they end up becoming CEOs. That's what we're saying here mm-hmm. of these giant corporations. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're not talking about like a pod people situation, like CIA infiltration, replacing CEOs with McKenzie, are we? I don't know. I mean, it is a there is a revolving door argument, but it's not it's not a public private re- yeah. revolution. It's private private. Yeah, it really is. I guess that's true. But so people I, do also – alumni do also go into public service. That's what I was going to mm-hmm. say. Alumni go into public service. But then I wonder – I do wonder how many public servants end up at the McKinsey Group as like a side gig. But it seems like it would be a very demanding job and not mm-hmm. exactly a retirement it's, um, yeah, gig. It, it's a pretty rigorous system internally. Uh, they have a churn of about one-fifth of their workforce a year. Uh, because they practice something called up or out, which means that you're either getting promoted or being kicked out. Dang. I know. Which is another part of the lens to their credibility, right? Yeah. Okay. No dying on the vine there. Just uh, GTFO or <laughs> you're hired and promoted. If you search on YouTube now, you'll see a lot of Pretty fascinating videos from people who were talking about how to get through the McKinsey hiring process. Oh, man. That's, those are the number one hits more so than the, uh, any idea of a McKinsey cover-up. First step, hack the person that you're going to be interviewed by. How do you know they haven't already hacked you? How do you know you weren't already selected? You know <laughs> oh, what I mean? Oh, God. So officially, let's look at their official stance. Officially, okay. McKinsey describes itself as what you said, Matt a, quote, global management consulting firm that serves a broad mix of private, public, and social sector institutions. So they're active in nonprofits, they're active in private corporations, and they're active in mechanisms of the state. It also, it doesn't make a secret of its alumni actions. It's it's pretty proud of the work of its former employees. Yeah, according to its own website, uh, quote, Alumni number more than 34,000 and work in virtually every business sector in 120 countries. Through formal events and informal networking, former McKinsey consultants make and sustain professional relationships. This dynamic network is a lasting benefit of a McKinsey career. So once you're in, you're in. Oh, yeah. And there's, there's another thing that's weird here. The clients were not meant to be recruited uh, in like a cold call situation, as a McKinsey person, you are expected to be active in community events, be on the boards of things, go to religious events and uh, religious services and informally become friends with people, people in power obviously, and then build a relationship from there. So nepotism is – nepotism and informal social relationships are a huge part of the process, of the workflow, wow. of the management accounting. Yeah. Do you think we've ever run into somebody from the McKinsey Group? I have, yeah. You have? Mm-hmm. At, at one of these things from your past life mm-hmm. or your current life? So at first <laughs> glance, McKinsey appears to be a powerful <laughs> multinational company, right? They have interest in everything from cancer research to nonprofit initiatives, agricultural and stuff, and much, much more. This is not particularly unusual in the modern day. McKinsey is not the only game in town here. 
But the thing is, critics allege there's much, much more to McKinsey than its shining public image may lead you to believe. And we'll learn about that after a quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up... So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Our sponsor was the McKinsey Group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is brought to you by The Firm. Here's where it gets crazy. 
There's a net of nepotism. That's what we're describing. And much of the criticism concerning McKinsey comes from the activities of its former employees. Uh, we we mentioned that they have a noticeably significantly higher chance of becoming CEOs of very prestigious companies. But they do end up having their uh, hands in a lot of pots, their fingers in a lot of pies. And most of the time that you hear someone criticizing this organization, they're going to be talking about one of any number of scandals. As we explore this, to be absolutely fair, we have to point out that McKinsey can make an argument where they say, well, this was happening because some member of our company or some group within our company did this, but the company overall did not know about this. We yeah. were unaware. Yeah, when you have all those tendrils, 14,000 of them or so, mm -hmm. you, you, it's hard to point the finger, especially if they're a consultant for somebody else. Right, and that that is a valid argument to make. They'll also say that, look, we just advise – these clients. We don't decide things for them. And while that is true, it is also true that since uh, for years, McKinsey has either been directly involved in or closely associated with a number of huge scandals. Reuters even described these incidents entire as in, in, indicative of not a few bad apples, not a couple of unscrupulous people in the company, but instead as a culture of corruption. So we can we can look through a few of these, and we'll we'll give let's give the the bare bones the one hundred and one because each of these uh, subjects that we're about to mention, it, it, each one is the tip of a much larger iceberg, right? And then yeah. there's a lot going on under the water. Let's start with uh, South Africa. Is that okay? Yeah. Talk about ESCOM, the power company that was kind of in dire straits at the time. Mm -hmm. And Transnet as well. Mm -hmm. So the story starts with the Gupta family, no relation to uh, the former head of McKinsey, a guy who also had the last name Gupta. Totally unrelated. This Gupta family is a wealthy Indian-born South African family who are best known for owning a business empire that spans computer equipment, media, mining, and so on. And it had close ties to Jacob Zuma during his presidency. Here's what happened. They found out the, the Gupta family had strategically placed corrupt people in various parts of the South African government and in if its infrastructure and its utility sectors. And the idea is that McKinsey was complicit in this corruption and they were using their connection with this family to get consulting contracts from places like ESCOM and Transnet. These are state-owned companies. And then they provided uh, – they worked with someone called Trillion Capital Partners, T-R-I-L-L-I-A-N – to provide like $75 million worth of services and then Trillion got a commission off that for facilitating the business and then uh, they were found – I don't want to say caught red-handed but caught uh, pink-handed. 
light red-handed. All right. Uh, with uh, in the midst of acts of bribery and corruption and payments to this capital partner. And eventually, South Africa's government in early 2018 found that McKinsey and Trillion had been involved in fraud, theft, corruption, and money laundering. So – Dang. Yeah. So this is this is a big-time financial crime, right, if, if it's true. And the, the – the, like, OK. McKinsey has hired uh, legal teams to defend them. Surprise, they can afford a ton of lawyers, right? I know that they – when they were first getting in bed with a lot of these companies, specifically with the ESCOM one, they were looking at a contract for like $700 million for the firm mm-hmm. to come in. And that's just one piece of it, working with uh, the people that the Gupta family was involved with. Like the money that was ex- was at stake, when I'm thinking about that, connected up to their values about only doing things that they know they can do and, mm-hmm. only, you know, telling the client the truth all the time and all this stuff and not putting the money above everything else. This feels like maybe this was a slip up where the money was above everything else. Is it a thing where it's not about the money though? It's about sending a message? Because what if they felt it was necessary to – purposefully cripple uh, ESCOM, which is an electricity provider, and Transnet, which is the rail and pipeline firm? What if they felt it was not only necessary to do that, but what if they felt they could do it well? Whoa. You know what I mean? So there was an even higher level of the playing field that was going on. Yeah. What if – I don't think they accidentally did this, Matt. At this level – it's a really tall milkshake to say that someone just consistently screwed the pooch yeah. multiple times at the perfect time to wow. make things terrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe that was part of it, but that's that's just one example, and we could probably do a whole episode on that one. Uh, there's also the Galleon insider trading scandal. This is where the different Gupta comes in. So there's a guy named Rajat Gupta who – was a former McKinsey senior executive. He was running the ship. No relation again to the Gupta family in South Africa. And a guy named Anil Kumar. These two guys and some others were convicted in a government investigation into insider trading for sharing inside information with a hedge fund owner, uh, the owner of a hedge fund called Galleon Group, a guy named Raj Rajanatram. Although McKinsey itself, the company, was not accused of any wrongdoing, the convictions were incredibly embarrassing for the firm because it, it prides itself on not telling its clients' business, right? On client yeah. confidentiality. And there's a senior partner, Anil Kumar, who described uh, – or he has been described as the protege of Gupta. Mm-hmm. He, he left the firm after these allegations uh, started servicing in 2009 and then he ended up uh, pleading guilty in January 2010. And um, it's – OK. So while this guy and some of the other partners had been pitching McKenzie's uh, like services, their consulting services to this Galleon group, mm-hmm. Kumar and this uh, – uh, Rajaratnam fellow, they reached this, they reached a private consulting agreement, which I'm interested in. So just kind of behind closed doors, they reached an agreement that violated McKinsey's policies on confidentiality, which, okay, again, we see them kind of maybe breaking their own rules a little bit. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the problem. If, if they really are breaking the rules. If they are breaking the rules. Are the rules just outward facing? <laughs> I don't know. So in October of 2011, Gupta was arrested by the FBI on criminal charges of sharing insider information from these confidential board meetings with Rajaratnam. Gupta was convicted in June of 2012 on four counts of conspiracy and securities fraud and then was acquitted on two counts. So he Mm. did ultimately get found guilty of some stuff. And the big questions here are things like how aware was McKinsey and company of this activity? Yeah. Were they somehow complicit? Were they uh, – was he was he relying on the network in some – to some degree? The answer is probably yes. Yeah, I would, I would think so. And it's a weird gray – it's not gray, but it feels like a gray area here, insider trading. Mm-hmm. This idea that if you have these close connections between um, the company that is valued at a certain amount that you're betting on is going to increase in value and then you're a hedge fund owner that is placing those values and somehow you've got this consultancy group that perhaps touches both things. I don't know. that It puts tremendous power in that third party mm-hmm. that that has that connection because if you want to, you can pull those strings or you can threaten to pull those strings. Uh, I, I don't know. that. Hmm. They just got caught. That's it. They got <laughs> caught doing what, uh, what maybe they're kind of set up to do, Ben. That's the thing. So insider trading is so at – least, at least in our country, here in the United States, insider trading is such a, a, a hazy concept. Yeah. You know, yeah, because it's not you sharing anything necessarily in this setup. You know, in a way, it's a consultancy group. It's mm-hmm. a partner that's mm-hmm. that is connected, but really not that connected. And at this level, the the laws are pretty rigorous about this, but they yeah. can also be fairly complicated. So, insider trading occurs. All the time in the United States Uh, for a while, for a long time actually, members of the U.S. Congress were not subject to the same insider trading laws uh, that everybody else was in theory subject to. That checks out, man. Sure. If you're in the Senate, you got to be able to grease those palms somehow. And if you can do it on your own time. And it's not somebody else greasing your palm. Wait, nope, it is somebody else. Oh, wait, oh, it's corruption. Oh, God. Oh, no. Some of us are uh, more equal than others, right? Yeah. So let's pause here for a word from our sponsor and return to some more tales from the black book of the McKinsey Company. Get ready for Enron. It's coming. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. 
$25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We're back, and how prescient. Yes, you are correct, my friends. Enron. So Enron was the creation of a guy named Jeff Skilling. Jeff Skilling was a McKinsey consultant for 21 years, and when Enron collapsed, he actually went to jail. Yes, uh, he did. Relatively rare for a lot of financial crimes. Uh, McKenzie reportedly fully endorsed the dubious accounting methods that caused the company to implode in 2001. And Enron reportedly used McKinsey for 20 different projects and it became a situation where McKenzie consultants would say, you know what, Enron is kind of a sandbox for us. Let's just let's shake things up. Let's roll the dice, make it interesting. Vegas, baby. Yeah, let's see what we can do, what <laughs> we can get away with. Does this make money if we just say this or we just do this? Mm -hmm. It's pretty brilliant. And if you've ever seen the documentary, 
it's called Enron, the smartest guys in the room. Mm-hmm. I, I would recommend it highly. Go check it out if you get a chance. Find it somewhere. Um, we have we done an Enron episode? I don't think I, I don't know if we have. We've talked about it a lot. Um, I think it's worth it. Like just mm-hmm. taking this, expanding it out into a whole episode, just because there's there are a lot of details in here yeah. about the weirdness that occurred there. Right. Okay. So. Just the a high level, quick and dirty look at this. Uh, Enron was the largest bankruptcy reorganization in American history at its time. It was also called the biggest failure of an audit. Uh, the scandal went public in October 2001. Enron was an energy company based in Houston, Texas, and it was formed in 1985. Uh, See, you're doing the whole episode right now. This is a whole episode, Ben. This whole episode, yeah, sorry. This is like sorry. the hero of the facts section. Ah, yeah, I can feel it. Yeah. Well, a lot of people went to jail. <laughs> uh, it had until, uh, I, I think until WorldCom went bankrupt the very next year, Enron was the largest corporate bankrupt see in history because I think it was valued at $63.4 billion and then it all went kaput. Yeah, just so maybe we'll do an Enron episode. Yeah, that, that should be worth it. It might be dry a little bit, but I think we can pull some stuff out of there just from I, in the insanity of our financial systems, mm-hmm. like as they work with the energy companies and the actual energy prices and just all of these, the way it's all interconnected. Right. The way that sometimes to turn a larger profit, uh, we will have tankers of oil waiting just off the coast, right? Yeah, huge that's happened ships before. Full yeah. of them. I mean, that's you know, during the depression, people were starving to death in urban areas while farmers were just slaughtering pigs wholesale and then throwing milk in a creek in an attempt to raise the prices. Burn that wheat field, man. This is the point where a consultant would come in and say, hey, we can improve this workflow. And they might be right. You know what I mean? There's a reason that the consultancy industry exists. If only the Peaky Blinders – excuse me, the McKinsey Group were around back then. Wait. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2008, do you remember the financial crisis? Oh, oh, do I? (laughs) You have a tattoo of it. Yeah, yeah I the really whole do. Thing. <laughs> the, just everything that happened. And there's it's crazy because the tattoo, mm-hmm. it's just nothing because nothing changed. <laughs> it's bleak. I love it. So Mackenzie Mackenzie gets um accused of being a prime mover in the financial crisis, which w- because they were allegedly promoting the securitization of mortgage assets and asking banks to fund their operations with a lot of debt. And according to you know their critics, this led to a poisoning of the global financial system and created ultimately that uh, 2008 meltdown. There's a great article on this There are several great articles on this, but one that will mention the financial crisis in a little bit more detail is McKinsey. How does it always get away with it by a guy named Ben Chu writing for The Independent? And what 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 eventually came out in the wash about this was something incredibly despicable 
that ties in with uh, their activities with insurance. So McKenzie and Company sold major insurers at places like Allstate a new business model that was designed to turn claims into profits. Their strategy was known as good hands or boxing gloves. And okay. Yet, yeah. Uh, this really came into um, the public eye during some – during Hurricane Katrina. Uh, the idea was that internally we would aim to make the process of filing for claims too difficult for people who were policyholders and too expensive and time-consuming for lawyers to want to take the case, leaving insurance firms undisputed as they delayed or denied claims. Here's how the model worked. This is incredibly unethical. They would offer a deliberately lower settlement to any policyholder who files a claim, much lower than they're actually entitled to according to what their insurance agreement is. Mm -hmm. If you accept the lower payment, then boom, your claim is resolved lickety split. If you say, hey, this says that I'm supposed to have X amount of cash. Why did you give me Y amount of money? They will say – we have to – if you're denying the settlement, we have to process this claim. And that will be de delayed and delayed and delayed forever until the policyholders are finally forced to accept the payment or just give up altogether. That's brutal. In addition to this, a guy named Navdeep Aurora was convicted for illegally depleting State Farm of over $500,000 over a period of eight years in cahoots with a State Farm employee. So in addition to creating this model that says, hey, you're an insurance company, uh, don't do your job and try to bilk people out of it and then pay us for telling you to do that, uh, certain employees were also stealing money from the company in addition. God. No, thank you. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, they've also been associated with – pharmaceutical, I don't know if you call them scandals, but controversies. Uh, there's a company called Valiant, a Canadian pharmaceutical company that was investigated by the SEC. They've been accused of cooking their books and of using predatory price hikes to boost growth. The Financial Times had an intriguing statement here, Matt. They said Valiant's downfall is not exactly McKinsey's fault, but its fingerprints are everywhere. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with that? Three out of six of the senior execs were recent McKinsey employees and uh, the the chair of the Talent and Compensation Committee was also an ex-McKinsey. It feels, it feels like McKinsey has this like part-time Upright Citizens Brigade gig where they go around <laughs> like, the movie, like the TV show, not uh, like uh -huh. just the improv group yeah. where they're just wreaking havoc everywhere in chaos – on purpose, just to see what they can get away with. Yeah, it sounds like that. And we have to ask if we're just hearing about the bad cases that made it to court. We most certainly are. Sure. I think that's without a doubt. But the bad cases are pretty pretty bad. And would the cases that are considered successful for the client and the company be considered successful for other people? Were they publicized? Because this, this kind of company can do multiple things, but one of the things a consultancy is often going to be associated with is quote-unquote streamlining. Like, 
fire the workforce, pay the uh, pay the upper level management more, or give them a sweetheart golden parachute walk away deal kind of thing. And their competitors have also complained about unfair business practices. There was a court case in 2018. Uh, McKenzie went to court over allegations from competitors that was purposely misleading or misinforming clients by not telling the whole truth, essentially, or as little of the truth as they could get away with because it wouldn't it wouldn't disclose conflicts, like conflicts of interest. Mm. Yeah, and that's rough. And this comes into play later. Right. So like if you are – what's the easiest way to put it? OK. Let's say that um, I'm McKinsey Group and you are a, uh, a creditor, a financier, and you hire me to uh, bail out – uh, let's say Noel has um, a bankrupt headphone company. The headphone mill is in trouble and it's bankrupt. Uh, you're in charge of how this bankruptcy happens. You go to me, McKenzie, and say, here's a couple mill. Here's a cool, cool few mill. Uh, what's the best way to restructure this? How do we determine who gets paid what? And I say, all right, I've got the perfect plan. But I don't tell you that as you and I were cracking this deal, I went through a different company and bought up a, a ton of this debt. So now what I'm doing is saying, well, you got to pay that okay. not been incorporated <laughs> first. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And then so I'm like, okay, well, you're the expert. And so you pay not been incorporated first. Then on top of that cool mill, I've got all this other money with – you know, that's that's a very, very, very oversimplified version of how that kind of thing would work. It's also illegal. Man. You can see why. Yeah. Right? It is – I'm just having this thought here. This is such a um, a rich person's thing, this idea of a consultant in this way, this type of partner. And that's why it exists at these higher levels with only CEOs, only um, the top levels of the white collar uh, amongst the world here of paying somebody a lot of money to figure out how you need to structure your payments for something. Mm -hmm. Because you've got this massive amount of money that needs to go out in these different places. You've got this massive amount of money that needs to be um, shuttled along mm -hmm. in some way. But I don't have time for that. I, with all this money, I'm going to bring somebody else in to do it. And no wonder, like, corruption, even just to the amount we're discussing here, occurs. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about that level of money, my God, somebody is going to think about themselves. And, again, this is a huge company. So yeah, in it, their defense, they're saying, well, look, if something happens and it's illegal or it's – incorrect, then we will we will fix it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not speaking against the company. I just mm. think it's that is human nature when you're dealing with this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just for an example, they said that they wanted to they, – they overhauled their South Africa office apparently after, after us – dealing such debilitating damage to SCOM and, and Transnet. 
And then the stories continued. So in the case of the U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, uh, McKinsey stopped working with them after it was disclosed the firm had done more than $20 million worth of consulting work for the agency. And this is where we hear an explicit version of that defense. A managing partner said the contract, which was not widely known until the New York Times reported it to people in the company itself, according to them. Whoa. He said it had rightly raised concerns. So they're not going to do it anymore. That is odd for ICE to be having a relationship with McKinsey. Why? Is, is it? Why? PR? They're, uh, they're not a PR firm. It could be workflow. I guess so. It could be something along the lines of how do we move the most people? How do we uh, Oh, ensure, that's interesting. like monitoring of a border or something? Or what is our process for uh, – it could be something as innocuous as how do we handle records? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. There's any number of things it could be. And just setting up facilities, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I wonder if that – had anything to do with it. Interesting. Ugh. So one uh, one other one that we would be remiss if we didn't touch on is McKinsey's work with authoritarian regimes. And business and policy support for regimes comes in the news every so often. And again, longtime listeners, you'll recall that regime is the word people use instead of government when they don't want to – when they don't want you to think another country's government is legitimate. Yeah. So North Korea calls the US government the US regime and the US calls North Korea the North Korean regime. Absolutely. So if you ever want to know how your country feels about another country, just see who they – see who they call a regime. It is it is such a, a simplistic shortcut, but I guarantee you it works. It's very true. And now I'm seeing it in my head. Oh, God. It doesn't mean those countries are automatically illegitimate. No, it's just no. Like you know how your rulers feel about them. <sighs> the Iranian regime. For sure. Right? Uh, the, these are the phrases that get thrown around. And I'm sure there's plenty of we were always at war with East Asia kind of stuff going on there too. But in McKenzie's case, they popped up in the news quite recently in December of 2018 because there was this big company retreat in China and it was held next to the Chinese government internment camps where thousands of Uyghurs are being detained as we speak. And we did an episode on this earlier in uh, modern concentration camps. Yeah, that's an odd place to have your lavish retreat. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, we also have a list here of, I guess, some prominent clients that McKinsey's worked for. Uh, let's see, the Saudi Arabia regime. No, I'm just kidding. It's the monarchy there. Um, Turkey's autocratic leader, uh, Erdogan. And let's see, oh, the president of Ukraine who was ousted. It's a former president, mm-hmm. Viktor um, Yanukovych, I believe. I don't Yanukovych. Yeah. Yanukovych, that's it. And then uh, several other Chinese and Russian companies who are under or were under sanctions, heavy sanctions at the time. Hmm. People, so McKinsey just swoops in and says, you guys need some help. Well, guess what? This hand is very helpful. Mm-hmm. And don't worry, it doesn't know what the left hand does, right? Or at least it doesn't talk to the left hand. Omerta, my friends. <laughs> yeah, so... Unless it's trading. If it's a trading thing, then we can make something happen. <laughs> right. So 
what what we're exploring then or what we have explored today is the story of a company that operates largely out of the headlines, the halls of power. It's it, it, it's a power behind the throne, you know, yeah. sort of this corporate vizier that advises um, companies, corporations, countries in power. And many times it comes into conflict with the law, with various countries' legal systems. So the question is, are we seeing just the, the bad stuff? Are we, are we only hearing about McKenzie when there's a problem? Well, we are hearing a lot about McKenzie's problems when they pop up and there does seem to be a pattern. Are we being unfair when we say that this organization is committing crime or are journalists being unfair when they say that? We'd like to we'd like to hear from you. So let us know what you think of this. In in the meantime, for conclusions, McKinsey is not going away anytime soon. We are not kicking someone while they're down. No. In any way. And from their perspective, again, they don't actually do these things. They advise clients, the clients take it from there. But not everyone's buying this. One last note, in January of 2019, this month, a bankruptcy case just got reopened here in the U.S., alleging McKinsey was illegally making money off bankruptcy cases it became involved with and uh, more so that it has established a pattern of doing this, that this is not a one-off thing but something more akin to a business practice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just putting this out here. This whole story reminds me of a movie that I saw way back well, – when I say way back in the day, over 10 years ago mm-hmm. uh, called Michael Clayton that uh, it stars – I want to say George Clooney and – oh, God, I can't remember. I think Tilda Swinton's in it too. It's this fantastic movie where there's this – what they called a fixer would mm-hmm. come through and that's what this whole thing feels like to me, fixers. That's what it is, I think. Ah, in yeah. my head, that's how I'm how I'm choosing to view McKinsey, which I'm sure is just a uh, a shallow view of what it is and what it actually is. But that's what it feels like to me, and I wonder if you feel that same way. Let us know. Yeah, and are look, and also consultant firms aren't inherently bad, right? No, you're just getting something done efficiently. I, I think that's it. Well, you're getting someone's <laughs> opinion. Uh, yeah. That's what a consultant – like here's my opinion based on my experience. This is what I advise, right? Uh, and plenty of people have done consulting work before. I've done it, not on this level, um, but it – you know, I, I just want to emphasize that we're not saying all these firms are, are terrible. We're not saying that everyone involved is a bad guy, but we are saying that McKinsey has a lot of stuff they don't want you to know. And it goes way beyond just who their clients are and what they do for those clients. It goes into court cases. It goes into collapsing uh, state sector industries. It goes into tons of dirty money. And this is, you know, at that point, those statements are not our opinion. They're the opinion of legal systems, of courts. So it's not even us saying it at this point. You know what I mean? No. All right. Well, hey, find us 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Meet your fellow listeners and talk about <laughs> talk about McKenzie Group until they buy our corporation to shut us down. Oh, God. Uh, we're, here's where it gets crazy. That's our community page on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Ben Bolin. Ben, that's not a fedora, right? No. No. Okay. No. Just making sure. And these are not Argyle socks. <laughs> okay, good. These those are, are space socks. Oh, those are awesome, dude. I just have boring ones on right now. Those are awesome socks, they, That makes you a better consultant. <laughs> I'm not distracting you. This is where we find out that uh, Paul Deccant works for McKinsey. Oh, I could totally see Paul. I could see him doing it. Oh, man, he cleans up, he cleans up so nicely. And he's just like yeah. rolling under the radar. When he's in here as mission control. I could see it doing a great job with it too. Oh, also, this has nothing to do with anything other than maybe ending on a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, Paul, I don't know how you're going to feel about this. And fellow listeners, you haven't heard Paul on the air. But I was watching stand-up from one of uh, one of my favorite comics, John Mulaney. I, dude, I thought Mulaney as you said that. And super producer Paul Deckett – you remind me of John Mulaney in the coolest way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see, I could see, I could see Paul telling some of those stories. Oh man, I hope you grow up to be like his character that he played on the Broadway show that he did. <laughs> <laughs> I, ho- I hope you, I hope you come into that one well, day. I don't, uh, but. You're not making the decision for him. You're advising him, right? That's true. That's true. That's so true. if anything goes wrong with that, it's not it's not your fault, Matt, so Matt and Co. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in. Please do let us know uh, what your take is on these things. Are these companies something that should be in the world? Are they – are they criminal organizations or are the opponents and critics just being alarmist? You know, there's definitely stuff they don't want you to know. And everything indicates that several of those secrets are secrets because they are illegal activity. But again, a few bad apples, there's a, a whole bad orchard. Um, I don't know. You can always, you can always argue the bad apple thing mm-hmm. in and, almost every situation. And you can call us directly with your take. 1-833-STDWYTK. That's stuff they don't want you to know, by the way, in, uh, in letters. Uh, <laughs> so call us, leave a message. You may get on the show. Okay, I guess that's it. And if you don't want to do any of those things, send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.